oh, your business is involved in the sale of a Schedule One drug. Please tell the federal government more about that. (laughs) (laughs) This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back, consume your favorite cannabis products, and get cozy cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are recording another episode of the show. We've made it to episode 103, so thank you all for joining us along this Lit and Lucid journey so far. Today, we have a special guest, Jeffrey Welsh. He is a partner at Vincente Cedarburg out of California. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Lucy and Jared. Uh, so excited to be on and, and, and uh, really excited for our chat today. Yeah, totally. You know, you got a great background, um, a lot of different areas, and, and we're going to touch on that. And, and one big thing I know later we're going to talk about is the music side of stuff. So that's something that we don't really get to talk about a lot. And I know you've got a huge passion for that. But it kind of brings me to my first question. You know, you have a passion for the cannabis industry. That's where you're kind of hanging out right now. And, um, you know, are you a consumer yourself? I am. Yeah. You know, these days, um, you know, it kind of kind of started uh, back in in college is when I was introduced to cannabis. I know we'll touch on music later, but as a you know jazz and classical musician, uh, that was my introduction to cannabis in college, which really sort of opened me up uh, from a creative standpoint. And now uh, I use cannabis less creatively and more as a like relaxation tool, um, you know, kind of after work or on the weekend. And so, uh, you know, really, really uh, uh, you know, used to really only stick to flour. Um, but now with sort of the advent of, you know, bioavailability and, and new consumable products, um, you know, I really enjoy everything. And, uh, you know, uh, I would say the only thing I stay away from are like hardcore concentrates. I don't need to get uh, that high these days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know the future of cannabis. It's like you, you got, you get your whole repertoire now. You just, you just get to choose. That's what Lucy and I in the last episode, we talked about it. We were like, Jesus, man, we like tried about every form of cannabis on the election night of <laughs> right? consuming it all. It's like, well, let's try that now. <laughs> so that's cool. Well, and you're in a very lucky position. I mean, you're an attorney. So to be able to say that you consume cannabis and to be an attorney, that's pretty lucky. You know, it was, it was really interesting, Lucy, particularly at the outset of my career. So I've, you know, really been practicing since, uh, you know, 2014 uh, was when I started practicing law. Um, but back then, you know, uh, you know, I, I've always been a proponent of, you know, kind of being the example, um, you know, or, or trying to lead by example, right, and trying to help shed, you know, the the sort of the negative perception and stereotypes around, um, you know, what you would consider to be uh, in the past a, a stereotypical cannabis consumer. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, you know, <laughs> back when I started uh, practicing or even in law school, um, that was something my colleagues and teachers said, you know, maybe you don't want to talk about that so much. <laughs> um, but but these days, uh, I, I kind of always uh, kindly kindly declined that advice because I just felt um, the best way to um, you know shed negative perception is is to show people that the vast majority of cannabis consumers you know are uh, very high functioning people um, that incorporate cannabis in a in a meaningful but functional way you know into into their lifestyle. 
I love that. And I'll just give a quick side note. Um, I had actually interviewed with the dean at Pepperdine and I was looking to go to Pepperdine myself. Uh, my uncle went there. And at that time, I was getting into cannabis as well. And for, you know, whatever personal reasons, I didn't become an attorney. I still work for a law firm. But it's interesting to see somebody who, you know, is a cannabis consumer and did go the route of the attorney. And, you know, you're doing just fine. So that's very cool. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the it's one of those things, you know, I, I'm just one person, right? And I don't have a huge platform or network. But, um, you know, my hope is that, you know, interacting with clients and, and people outside the community, um, is that it's about changing hearts and minds, it, it, you know, in my experience, kind of one person at a time, right? And so if I can have those conversations years ago, you know, with, with my family to start, right, and, and my grandparents um, at the time, you know, at the time, and um, extended family and help show them, like, look, I'm, I'm uh, as high achieving an individual as I can be. I'm highly functional. I'm highly productive. Um, and I just prefer cannabis to um, the glass of Chardonnay that you're drinking, right? Like, that's just my preference. Um, and that doesn't make me less than or more than um, just makes me me. Totally. Yeah, I was going to mention that, you know, there's all these running jokes about alcohol and lawyers. And I mean, everybody's probably heard a bajillion of them or about running to the bar, or, <laughs> you know, things like that. And, you know, which bar are they actually talking about? And so it might be refreshing for like, you know, the, the law field to have a new take on, um, you know, letting loose. <laughs> and there might be a lot of attorneys out there who are like, geez, you know, I don't even do anything, but it'd be nice to have something that's natural and not going to, not going to rock my socks. Like can you know, cannabis would be like a nice little, you can hit a vape pen at the end of the, end of the long, hard day and, and sleep good at night and, and not feel like it's too crazy as a thing. And, and you're helping to kind of soften that stigma, which is cool. I, I appreciate that. Well, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. So, you know, I, I still enjoy, you know, I love wine and I love, you know, good scotch and whiskey, but uh, I'm not 21 anymore. Right. So I yeah. can't, um, you know, if I, if I drink at night, even a little bit, I feel it the next day. And yeah, uh, you know, cannabis know. is just hi highly functional for me in that respect. I can enjoy myself um, and wake up, you know, ready to go. And, and that's a huge differentiator for me um, and, and for our community, I think. Yeah, I, I was just imagining, I'm thinking of, you know, all the attorneys who have scotch like at their desk, like after work yeah. or whatever. And, you know, it becomes a late night and then you got to get up early and alcohol just does a number on your body and your mind. And I'm just thinking like if they did just take that vape pen after work, like how much more refreshed would they be the next day? And like how much clearer would their thoughts be? Speaking from experience, you know, a lot, a lot, uh, a lot more refreshed. And so I, I, I try to recommend to all my, you know, professional colleagues out, outside of the space, you know, people I went to Pepperdine with, hey, you know, it's, uh, look, you know, we're getting older, our metabolism isn't what it used to be, maybe, you know, swap out that, uh, you know, 200 calorie, 300 calorie beverage, you know, uh, that, that hurts in the morning for, uh, for something that that doesn't. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, you didn't start in cannabis, though, and you did kind of start at, you know, uh, the largest talent agency in the world. And I know you have a background in entertainment. And, you know, how did those different industries prepare you for the cannabis industry? That's a great question. Um, you know, and, you know, when I went to law school, I went to be an entertainment lawyer. I didn't, you know, know what well, at the time, 2010 is when I started law school. There really wasn't um, a cannabis legal profession, 
right? You know, back in California at that time, it was, you know, keep your client out of jail. So it was really more of a role of a criminal defense lawyer, less so of a, a business lawyer um, or entertainment lawyer. Um, the entertainment community, I would say more than anything. Um, and, and the reason I joined WME, um, William Morris Endeavor after, after law school was, you know, I kind of had to get that entertainment bug, you know, out of my system. You know, I told myself and uh, my family that that's what I would do. Um, and that's what I was going to law school for. And so I had to give that a shot and see. Um, I would say the pace of, of the, the, the agency I was at really prepared me for the pace of the cannabis space, you know, as far as the explosive growth we experienced in California. And when I started my own law firm in 2015, um, you know, that <laughs> was some of that, the, you know, the, the longest hours, you know, of my life, but also the most rewarding. And so I would say the pace, um, uh, enabled me to uh, sort of find another gear when I needed it, right? You know, I, I think going through law school certainly prepared me for that. But um, everyone sort of, I think, used to working a certain number of hours in the day and thinking you're done um, in the entertainment world and in the cannabis space now, you know, kind of nothing's ever done, right? It's, it's always constantly evolving, constantly moving. We're constantly being inundated with new potential clients, new potential issues, right? And so, um for me, it was really about kind of training for that extra gear. Um, and also one of my goals, you know, coming out of the entertainment space and knowing I wanted to do cannabis law and the business law full time was um, trying to set sort of a new benchmark for the quality of representation that, that people would see in the space, right? I mean, uh, similar to uh, what ha- the stereotypes c- cannabis consumers might face, I think, you know, service providers like ourselves, right? Like, uh, you know, agencies and, and lawyers and accountants face that same a similar stigma, right? That we might be a little slower because we smoke weed, not drink scotch, right? <laughs> and, that's, uh, and that's not, um, that, that wasn't the case. And so I took a lot of pride in, you know, being responsive and kind of delivering things in not only a timely fashion, but beating what I said I, I would, you know, get that work product out in. Um, and so I, I think the combination of those two things um, sort of really helped prepare me to, um, to, to start my own business and, and kind of lead that business to, you know, a, a moderate amount of success. You know, we had a, a great couple of years at, at Frontera and now, you know, we're at Vicente Cedarberg, which is really the firm that we modeled Frontera, my, my original law firm after. Cause uh, you know, when, when I met my business partner first year of law school, um, you know, we saw what VS was doing in Colorado and we decided <clears throat> let's, let's, let's do that in California. Yeah. And they're definitely really one of the models for a top, you know, cannabis attorneys in the country for sure. So that was a great firm to model it off of. And they obviously saw, you know, worth in what you guys were doing and brought you guys on board. So that's really cool. Um, But I'm curious, like, what would you represent clients on in the entertainment industry? And then more so, what are you doing now for cannabis clients? Sure. Um, so, so at the time, um, you know, really one of my reasons obviously was, like I said, to get that entertainment bug out of my system. But I also knew <clears throat> that I was probably going to be, you know, uh, full-time in cannabis sooner than later, just because it presented more opportunity to grow. Um, you know, the entertainment industry is, uh, it, it takes a really long time to earn your stripes in that space. Um, and, and it's sort of a fixed ladder, right? You can't really jump um, spaces. So um, at the time, 2015, um, when I started the firm, um, 
you know, entertainment clients at the time were really people who were just kind of sticking their toe in the water, right? So my role at the time was more of an educator, right? Working with agents at William Morris Endeavor and their clientele and teaching them sort of the, the legal uh, inner and outer boundaries of, of what is and isn't possible or, or um, and, and helping their clients understand, you know, what was safe, what, what makes a good cannabis business, what, what doesn't. Um, and so to date, my representation in entertainment um, is anywhere from, you know, helping a celebrity uh, or entertainment brand, you know, get into the space, um, you know, through, um, you know, white labeling or licensing um, and also helping them invest. Uh, so, you know, more acting as like silent, silent investors um, in the space, helping them vet opportunities. Um, and I still do that um, today for, 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 uh, for, for many entertainment uh, clients. Um, it's just these days there's less, finally, less toe dipping and more jumping in because, um, you know, we're, we're just at a point, uh, you know, socially and politically where um, it's okay to be involved, right? And, you know, five, six years ago, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, I'd say, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the, 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 the parallels between entertainment and cannabis is that they're really broad nets, right? Like, being an entertainment lawyer means a lot of things um, and, and being a cannabis lawyer is the same. And so on any given day, you know, I might help a client figure out where they might want to apply for a license, you know, in California. Um, I might help them with some corporate structuring, right? So um, not to like dig into the legal weeds, but, you know, corporate formation, corporate administration, stuff like that. Um, you know, we also touch on uh, real estate work. We do a little bit of litigation. Um, we do a lot of intellectual property work. So assisting clients with filing uh, trademarks and, and patents. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting or I'm leaving out um, some things there, you know, obviously complex uh, transactions, contracts, uh, selling your business, buying a business. So like mergers and acquisitions. And so it's a really broad net, um, which is interesting because, you know, a lot of my advisors at Pepperdine, a relatively conservative uh, institution, you know, said, Jeff, you know, if, if that's what you're going to do, like that, that could be career suicide for you, you know, if it doesn't work out. Uh, whereas, interestingly, um, I have a lot more experience in different sort of areas of the law um, compared to most of my colleagues who really get pigeonholed into sort of one section, right? As a lawyer in a bigger firm, you're just you, you're really focused on uh, one suite of issues in the same bucket, right? Whereas um, that's one of my favorite parts about practicing this space is that every single day I wake up, I know what's on my agenda and I know what my calls are, um, but I'm always tackling, um, you know, new um, or different issues. And so um, the sort of the, the pace um, and the variety of issues I face is something that's really uh, rewarding um, for me just intellectually. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's kind of an interesting position where you're at because any serious uh, business operator, or one that's you know tinkering with it, their first stop might be the lawyer's office, really, sure. and that's where it's kind of on you to to kind of help guide them and, and kind of vet some of these ideas and tell them you know does this work, does this shake, um, you know how's this going to work out, and and so I think it's pretty incredible. You know, you talked about when you first came into it, you found a, a new gear and. And really, it's almost like when I got in the industry, you know, cannabis like taught me a new gear too, because it is moving so fast that, you know, just like you, you found yourself in, you kind of have to, to kind of take it on yourself just to learn this stuff, because there's not a lot of uh, literature out there to go off of. There's not a lot of businesses out there doing this stuff already. You kind of just have to figure it out on your own. And I think you're right. in a, a pretty incredible position to where you've, you've had to do a lot of this work yourself. And then now you're, you're kind of stepping out there and you've got, you know, a brand agency and different things. And um, you really preach to your clients about 
um, the importance of compliance and compliance is a big thing. And, and so in cannabis, it's like you said, it's not just like one area of focus. It's really a lot of different areas. And then all those areas are changing nearly every day. And then it's on you to like propel the change and like create the change sometimes. And that's, you're absolutely right, Jared. And that's scary, but that's also the opportunity, right? I mean, again, you know, things are a lot more, I mean, things aren't settled, right? Obviously we're still dealing with a, you know, a schedule one drug, you know, federally, um, but particularly six years ago, right? When we were really, you know, tasked to thought lead, right? And and most lawyers, they're told, right? The the role of a lawyer is usually, hey, paper this deal, right? Here's the deal points, paper it. Um, whereas our role, you know, a lot of times even today is, well, what do you think about this? What's the best mechanism for this type of deal? You know, how would we structure this? How do you recommend we approach this with the state regulators or state operators? And like you said, Jared, like there's very little legal precedent, right? So it's not like I can go on a legal, you know, website and look up case law from the past 20 years about how this has been decided. And I personally love that. Um, because that means we can really kind of trust our team, right, to kind of, you know, brainstorm together and come up with a unique solution that's maybe never been out there. But I think for a lot of traditional business people, not just lawyers, that, that can be scary. Um, and so we try to embrace that fear, right, and, uh, and, and really uh, make, make that a good thing, right? And I, I think, you know, obviously being in the space now for, for a, a, a good period of time, um, I'm comfortable operating in um, – with with that uh, lack of precedent. Yeah. I see that you kind of like as like a trusted advisor, not even just like an attorney, just like somebody they can go to that they can trust and, you know, bounce ideas off of and come up with the best solution. I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's what, that's what I want to be. And look, sometimes, um, you know, it's, you know, I kind of view myself a lot, particularly in this space as, you know, if we're talking about a car, like I like to be the gas, right. Cause I like to push things and get them done. Um, but sometimes if the clients are also the gas pedal, I have to be the brake, right. And say, hold on, slow down. One of the things I do a lot of these days, days for better or worse is like dealing with partnership issues or breakups. And so I'm always, you know, very hesitant and careful and cautious when a client's entering into a new partnership or new relationship. Um, If you haven't dated, you probably shouldn't get married, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, hey, let's maybe like take this one step at a time. Um, It's, I get it, things need to get done quickly and efficiently. Um, but a lot of times I, I, I prefer to that. That's where I act as the break. A lot of times is, is, Hey, let's slow down and make sure that this is going to make sense. Not in six months, but a couple of years. Yeah. I kind of want to put you on the spot here because I know, um, Lucy and I, I mean, it's like, Oh man, it's like every month or so we have somebody that in our network or something going through an m and a, and one fell through and, I mean, there's always some drama around M&As and, and it's just that, like you said, you know, um, you, it's, you have to look at it as like a marriage. And so I'm just curious, you know, is there is there a lot of that like in, in cannabis especially? Is it, is it different or is it kind of the same as far as a lot of these M&A failures and, and people trying to rush deals? And there is it just kind of like standard across all industries, kind of what we see of a lot of these falling through and not working out? Yeah, I, Jared, I do think it happens a little more in our space. And, and the reason, and this isn't across the board, but I think it happens more frequently in our space because typically, right, those deals involve money, right? So you have an operator or someone with operational experience or some opportunity, right? And then they have the skill set and they can put in like the sweat 
right? Um, but they don't have the capital. Usually the capital and the operators come from different places, right? Usually you got more of a blue collar person on the operational side, not always, but usually in my experience. And on the capital side, you're usually dealing with white collar people, right? And so they tend to do business um, and interact in a professional stance uh, very, very differently. And that's where I see a lot of challenges and issues um, everything's great when like the money first gets there. But, um, you know, again, six, eight months, a year down the line, um, you know, that investor isn't seeing the returns that they were promised or, um, you know, the operator um, disagrees with, um, you know, one of the investors position. And I think, you know, uh, my role, if I'm doing a great job, right, is to is to kind of act as a mediator and advisor there too, right, and and also help translate, <laughs> you know, the operational speak from, um, you know, the investor capital speak, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of, they just come from different places a lot yep. of times and have different outlooks on how business should be run. Um, and there is no r- one way to do business properly, right? Particularly in this space. Um, we, we see successful businesses um, all the time that, you know, probably wouldn't have gotten funded on Shark Tank, right? <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of like underdog stories in cannabis, which I love so much. Um, and so that's, that's, I see, I, I hope I answered your question um, um, as far as totally. that's concerned. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I kind of already had an answer, I guess. It just seems like there's more. And I think a lot of that just speaks to um, the, 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 the misunderstanding, I guess, of cannabis or the lack of understanding. Um, I used to do a lot of consulting a few years ago and I would have a, a couple different ones with, there was like the East Coast private equity firms that I ended up having to do a lot of consul- consultations with. And I would have to explain to them, I'd give them the, you know, a lot of the numbers and stuff. And then I'd have to explain to them later, though, like, you can't expect this to turn into profit because here's all these other things that are going to cost you money. And they wouldn't believe me. They'd be like, right. <laughs> oh, well, you're giving me these numbers. This is like, you know, money in the bag. And I'm like, well, you don't get it, though. There's all these other regulations you have to do. There's like these uh, excise taxes, there's taxes in general. The IRS is going to want their 280E taxes. And, um, and so I can totally see how there's a lot of opportunities where people just don't understand the caveats of the cannabis industry. And uh, it's not, you know, as profitable as it seems and not saying profits, the driver behind, behind a lot of these uh, failures, but I do think it has a lot to do with it. Uh, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, something that, um, you know, we sort of take a contextually, right? Like, you know, I mean, we had, we just had, you know, this was a great uh, November 3rd for the, for the cannabis space, right. And, and emerging, emerging therapies and, you know, the psychedelic space overall. Um, but, and you, we're still in our infancy in California, right. And Colorado is a different market, you know, overall and much more settled, but, you know, we're still dealing with a, a, a you know, federally illegal drug, right. And until that changes, um, those considerations are still going to be across the board. And so it's, it's, uh, we're still in our infancy, right? We're still toddlers, right? Our, our, our industry, right? And so I do see those things getting better, um, particularly, you know, once the federal curtain, you know, drops and, and, you know, cannabis is descheduled, um, you know, meaningfully, uh, you know, once, you know, banking and insurance are, um, you know, become like any other industry. Um, I, I think that'll make things easier for everyone. Um, Cause there's a lot of people I think waiting in the wings and from what I hear and from calls I take from potential clients, people very eager to get in, but you know, their investors or um, you know, their advisors, you know, are, are, are very risk adverse. Right. And so despite the fact that investments happening everywhere and there's no federal enforcement, unless you're, you know, a black market operator, you know, blatantly breaking the law um, you know, I think that's really going to be a, a turning point, you know, for our space 
um, and, and will make things easier for everyone. Yeah, I was about to mention that that um, cannabis is still a very risk adverse risk. Um, intensive, I guess. And a lot of the biggest investors all across the U.S. and in the world are totally just like sitting it out right now. They're just waiting for it to either get federally legalized or have a broader appeal, I guess, to the U.S. in general. Um, but I would totally agree with you that I don't think we've even seen it yet as far as how big the cannabis industry can get, because I think before the elections, people were still very much on the fence of like, can this go fed? And I think all of us in the industry were like, totally, let's make this federally, federally legalized. But I do think you have all, you know, there's still, what is there, 39 states still that don't have recreational? Um, yes, yeah. So that's still, kind of, that's still a lot of work out there that still has to get done. Um, Absolutely. And well, interestingly, right, we, we have, we're, and we're seeing it now, but like the, C, you know, with the farm bill and, and like the CBD boom, um, you know, I, I love CBD and I love, you know, I, I love hemp particularly for its agricultural, you know, uses, which we're, you know, finally starting to really see, but we see the CBD boom and pop. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I'm kind of, I, I love it, but I hate it, right? Because like CBD without THC um, and, and the types of CBD products that are being sold that are widely available, you know, at traditional, you know, um, non-cannabis outlets, right? Like don't have the same medicinal benefit or value as like THC products do. Um, and so I, um, it's this tough thing, right? Because I think it's a wonderful stepping stone for, for people who would might be adverse to cannabis to start to, you know, wrap their heads around, you know, getting comfortable around the hemp and cannabis plants. Um, but at the same time, there's, it's also an opportunity for, you know, people that might not have the best intentions around the plant to like dive in and sell a bunch of like garbage CBD products, which we see a ton of, um, now, unfortunately. And so it's like, I love, you know, I, I love, you know, the other cannabinoids and, uh, you know, CBD is incredible, but, um, it's an interesting love hate relationship I have with CBD because, um, you know, for better or worse, there are a ton of products out there that just aren't doing the plant justice, you know? Yeah, definitely some snake oil out there. And then it's really yeah. just doing a disservice to everybody because it's creating a distrust. You know, if people do go out and try this CBD oil and it doesn't work for them, like, how do you know they're going to try it again? So, right. you know, it's definitely a problem. Um, but then one other thing I know, you know, we talked about you being in the entertainment industry and now as an attorney, um, but you also are a co-founder of Composite, which is a full service uh, cannabis industry agency um, focused on branding and advertising. Was that just a natural next step for you after becoming an attorney? And, you know, you just saw you can help clients that way as well. Or how did that start? Yeah, um, you know, essentially like a year and a half into starting Frontera, um, we saw, you know, that that legalization in California was, uh, or adult use legalization was was right around the corner. And I was concerned, you know, that a lot of my clients weren't going to be able to, um, you know, meet the new standard of products and marketing and, and content that would be coming out Um post-legalization, because I knew legalization meant more investment capital into the space, which meant, you know, better products, better teams, smarter teams. Um, and so I'd worked with um, the co-founder of Composites, a guy named uh, Cody Tesno. Um, I'd worked with him on a couple uh, other client initiatives before we started Composite. Um, he approached me um, several years ago and said, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start this agency. I said, hold on, like, let's do this together because I think a big differentiator for a cannabis focused, you know, uh, agency would be having the backing of, 
um, you know, a lawyer and law firm um, who prides themselves, you know, on compliance and adhering to the regulations. And Absolutely. so um, it, it was it was a way for us, it, it, a little bit of like an in-house incubator um, for our clients at Frontera at the time. And then we've, you know, subsequently expanded, you know, past that. And obviously now I'm with VS and Composite doesn't have, you know, any formal association um, with VS other than myself, um, you know, who's a, who's a, you know, partner in both businesses. Um, and so um, really, yeah, I would say, Lucy, uh, part of it was like a natural extension of my time in entertainment because, I, you know, it, yes, I, you know, being a cannabis lawyer is is somewhat more creative, right, than than a standard lawyer. Um, but I still don't really get to scratch that creative itch um, unless unless I'm like helping someone, you know, figure out or, or t- taking a look at, you know, uh, designing a new logo or you know, doing a, a full brand design, um, you know, a- assisting them with, you know, um, you know, doing their their uh, their their packaging um, and their marketing, and and so um, you know, composites kind of uh, gone through a couple pivots, you know, not, not surprisingly this year, you know, we've sort of pivoted from really doing like event design and, and CPG design um, to really like online marketing um, and, and things like that, just because, you know, this is a new year. Um, and if we, if we didn't pivot, um, you know, we, we probably just wouldn't have uh, much of a business um, these days because of the lack of um, events, you know, in, in the COVID era. So, um, you know, re- really excited about what we're doing there and certainly uh, eager for composite, um, you know, as much as the firm for uh, things to normalize a bit so we can kind of get back to what we love doing. For sure. Yeah. And there's totally a lot of, a lot of, you know, crossing paths, I guess, with lawyers and brand agencies. Um, one thing that doesn't get talked about enough with the cannabis industry is IP and um, trademarking. And that's like a huge issue, especially, you know, you're talking about celebrities and entertainers and um, you, it's really hard to protect your brand these days. And that's where it's like, you've got to work with a lawyer to, to figure out the route to do that. I can't, you know, for any, for anyone listening, I can't emphasize Jared's point enough. Um, I can't tell you it's been more than a dozen times where, um, look, you know, being penny wise, pound foolish, like doesn't pay off in in cannabis. A lot of times, Um, you know, a a client like getting trademarks, isn't that expensive, right? You're going to spend a couple grand um, for, for a suite of trademarks, but that IP is crucial to protect your brand, you know, while it's out in the marketplace. And also when you go to sell, um, your brand, you know, having a suite of IP is, is, is really crucial. But um, like I said, many, many times clients have said, hey, I just need your help responding to this office action, right? Which means they applied for their own trademark because it's not that hard to do or it doesn't seem like it is. Um, but what they basically end up doing is admitting to the federal government that they sell cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. And so the federal yeah. government says, oh, your business is involved in the sale of a Schedule One drug. Please tell the federal government more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think uh, not surprisingly, you know, uh, a lot of times there's only so much we can do right at at that point. Right. And so that has resulted, uh, unfortunately, in, you know, not not brand death per se, but inability for that client to protect their brand in any meaningful way, um, which, again, is going to hurt them for enforcing their brand now and and is going to hurt, you know, the valuation of their business you know, down the line. And so please, please, anyone listening, please just talk to someone first. And if, <laughs> yes. if you don't know, if you haven't done it before, please just, um, it, it's too important to, 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 to save a couple dollars on yeah. that. I think it was, um, Abraham Lincoln who said he, who represents himself as a fool for a client. And 
I can tell you from years of experience, like trying to go pro se and trying to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's on your own is not a good move. So definitely, you know, even if you just have the consultation, at least try to get some information from them. Well, and then like something that that kind of hits home there and it's a great little, it was a great wake up call for us, you know, and I won't mention any names here, but Lucy got a a cease and desist letter in the mail last week for a blog post she put up. And it was a company that came to her and said, um, I want you to you know, try our products and give us a product review. Well, she puts it up. And now another company that's been around since, what, like 1920, the chocolate company, comes and says, you need to take this down. You're using our trademark and all this stuff. And, you know, it, luckily, you know, it's not like Lucy's in trouble. But this company is going to have to rebrand now. And, you know, who knows, going to have to, like, take all their products off the shelf, redo all their packaging, redo their website, socials. This is a tell, company that's been around Tell for their a influencers to take off oh. their, all the blogs down, take everything off the internet, scrub it. And, like, that is so much work and so much money. That's brutal. Brutal. Well, and, brutal. Just, and just taking back all of the progress they made, right? And um, a lot of people don't realize, you don't have to hire a lawyer for this. There's some, There's plenty of companies that do like what they call like trademark deep dive searches. So, you know, if you have an idea for a brand and, and it's it's not cheap, right? It's, it's like four or 500 bucks, right? But what they do is it's not like looking at, go- looking at the first 10 pages of Google, right? It analyzes <laughs> it's a computer program, right? And so it analyzes everything and gives you a very comprehensive report about, you know, which classes in trademark might present issues. And it really, really helps because it could for that company, right? And I I mean, that's the worst thing to hear, right? For that company, they could have added one word or a couple extra letters, right? And really kept the same, you know, vibe of of the brand, I'm sure, but changed it enough so it wouldn't confuse the consumer or piss off that other company, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and they could have just saved themselves from all of this. That's just like, um, it's so it's, it breaks my heart to hear that, you know, because I can imagine the hundreds of hours, you know, I'm sure that they put in to their brand, you know, that's their blood, sweat and tears. That's their life. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I can't emphasize enough. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm as like one of the, enter- as the entertainment guy at, at VS, um, you know, I spend a lot of my time, you know, talking and, and helping clients with, you know, their IP strategy. And so it's certainly a, a topic ne- near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I, I mean, not, not to, t- you know, toot my own horn, but, you know, I, I've got, I've gotten plenty of trademarks for myself and, you know, our businesses and composite and, you know, Frontera and, you know, working with VS. And so it's just, just please, if you don't have experience, please reach out to someone. There's a pro for that. We might there. have to yeah. hit you up ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a <laughs> pro for that. I do want to switch gears a little bit, and this is something that we did talk about in the pre-show. And so, um, you know, and there's a Forbes article out there that you do a great piece in, and, uh, you know, you discuss how important mentorship is to you, and you've had a lot of big mentors in your life. And the first thing that popped in my head was, um, you know, do you find mentors or like, do mentors find you? It's it's kind of like a conundrum, I guess, that I find myself in. Uh, I thought I'd just ask you. I, I, I love that question, Jared. I think... You know, these days, I think, I think these days, I think, you know, I'm more finding mentors. I, I would say I've been very lucky, you know, from, from music to, to law, um, you know, and I think it was, it was really just 
life kind of provided me with mentors, right? And it was up to me to like recognize um, that opportunity. You know, like I, I met my first music teacher uh, my sophomore year of high school um, doing like an all state band thing in Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up and where I went to high school. Um, and I just felt a, a unique connection with this person and felt that she could, you know, elevate me professionally in a musical sense to a place I'd never been to. Right. And I just felt a unique connection with her and didn't hesitate to say, um, or lean on her for not just music advice, but life advice. Right. And so, um, I would say back then, um, you know, mentors kind of appeared because of the situations I put myself in, but it was about me recognizing and my parents right at the time saying, look, this is a really great opportunity. Make sure you don't, you know, make sure you take advantage of this. Um, Whereas these days I I feel like it's a little flipped, right. And we're we're fortunately like I have enough of a presence and and reputation that if I see someone um, that I'm really interested in talking to, or, you know, um, you know, picking their brain, I'm able to sort of reach out um, and, uh, and, and, you know, get their ear for, for any advice, um, whether that's a lawyer or an entrepreneur. Um, and I'm really trying to sort of return the universe, you know, the favors they gave me these days, because we have a, a ton of people, you know, obviously graduating law school or graduating anything at a really tough time, right? Like, I can't imagine, you know, graduating any level of, you know, secondary education right now and trying to find a job. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I do my best um, to really, um, you know, help people wherever I can when they reach out to me um, as it relates to, you know, career advice, you know, specific to the legal or cannabis um, communities. And so um, to me, man, I think fun to try and like boil it down into one word, I would say like stay curious, right? And like curiosity leads you to good directions, right? And at the time, uh, long ago, curiosity was my, it was music curiosity, you know, that kept kept leading me to propel me forward. Um, these days, um, you know, it's really about walking the walk, right. And and telling my clients, like you have to constantly evolve. You have to constantly thinking ahead. You can't be okay right now. You have to be prepared for, you know, the next couple years of your business and what, you know, iterations in your life, um, are coming. You have to prepare for those as much as you can. Um, and so, you know, in doing that, I feel like I now have to, in finding that and finding people that, that helped me and supported me, uh, personally and professionally, I have to do the same thing. Right. And I, otherwise, um, I feel like the universe will punish me, right. For, uh, for, for not helping people in, uh, in the same situation I was in a couple of years ago. I, I hope that, I know that didn't exactly answer your question, Jared, but I, I hope that gave you some insight into kind of my, my thought process. No, totally. And that's kind of what I wanted to, because, you know, you're very successful. Um, you've done a lot kind of in a short amount of time with your career and really put yourself in a great spot. And so, you know, there's the inevitable question of like, well, what's this, what's this gentleman doing that's, you know, working so great. And, and, and kind of how you answered that, in my opinion, to really briefly summarize that is you're not afraid to put yourself out there. You're not afraid to go reach out to somebody and ask them a question. And I think that in its simplest form is really kind of a great model to success of like, you know, you put yourself out there by being an attorney and then knowing that you wanted to uh, go into cannabis. That's putting yourself out there. You put yourself out there with creating a law firm when there really wasn't a lot to go off of. You created a full service cannabis agency. You at some point, I'm sure approached Vicente Cedarberg and said, let's partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, those little things, those little wins of putting yourself out there pay off the big time. And, and you're a great model of that. So you know, thanks for sharing your little tidbit there. I think that uh, our listeners are going to love that. 
I, I appreciate that, Jared. And I, I would just say, uh, you know, one, one, I think, interesting kind of fun um, example about that. We were, this was 2015, uh, we were trying to um, talk to, we were trying to get a, a cannabis company on HBO, which was the first time that any cannabis company had an opportunity to be on like a, a, pr- a premium network. Um, and I was trying to get a hold of people at Rock Nation because uh, they were sponsoring this boxing match that, that had a cannabis opportunity. Couldn't get a hold of anyone. Um, and, you know, we were really frustrated. I just said, you know, put yourself out there, right? And so I literally Instagram DM'd every single Rock Nation <laughs> artist who had you know, some of whom, if you like know that roster, right, mm-hmm. are some of the biggest cool, celebrities yeah. musically in the world. Um, and I got responses from some, you know, I won't say who, but like, I got surprising amount of responses, right? And I, I think that might change these days, you know, Instagram wasn't quite as crazy back mm-hmm. then as it is now. Um, but look, like, like in anything in life, right, the worst thing that can happen is you get a no, or you get a non response, right? And, yeah. and I've always tried to approach my life um, that way with, you know, be as prepared as you can for the moment and then shoot your shot. You know, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is someone says no. um, And you have to, as in any business, as you guys, I'm sure know, like you have to, (laughs) you have to have a thick skin, right. And and be prepared for people to turn you down and say, no, if if, if you're not prepared um, to be turned down, um, it's going to be a tough, a tough go for you. Absolutely. And I think that's how we try to, you know, conduct our business as well. Like, you know, Jared and I will talk about an idea and I'm like, just go for it. Like, let's just try. Like, who cares? And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least we tried. So I think that's great advice for people. Totally. I was going to make the comment of like, maybe that's the Italian in you. (laughs) (laughs) It very well could be. It it very well could be. Yeah. Um, Just growing up and and, and go get it. You know, if uh, no one's going to hand it to you. Right. So go out and get it. That might be that might be the Italian side of me. I love it. All right. Well, Jeffrey, we'd like to end our show with one question. Uh, We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I would say I'm lucid uh, these days. I would say uh, on the weekends, I'm more lit because uh, I'm, I'm yeah. focused on having fun and uh, playing music as much as I can. But um, I would say during the week, I'm lucid. So I'm sorry to, to answer a uh, either or question with both. Um, but that's I good. like to like it. to think I'm a little both. <laughs> Nobody's answered both yet, so that's perfect. <laughs> Seriously, perfect. Yeah. yeah, we always get new answers every single time, so and they're always surprising. I'm down. I was thinking about it beforehand, like, well, you know, what is Jeff? I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna, I was kind of torn between the two, regardless. So I think really you gave the best answer possible. You can you can do that, both, guys. guys. You can do both. <laughs> you can do both. Find a balance. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, for sharing all of your insight with us. We appreciated having you on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lucy and Jared. Pleasure was all mine. Uh, have an awesome week and uh, ho- hope to talk to you soon. Cool. All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Laters.